All right, good morning, church. It's uh, great to be here again. Uh, I grew up in this church, as Adam mentioned. Uh, my first Sunday was some, sometime early in 1982 when I, I was an infant. And I attended youth group here. I went to Virginia Tech. I, I studied at Lee High School, uh, then went to Virginia Tech and graduated with an engineering degree in 2005. And that year, the Lord really uh, put it strongly on my heart, my parents' heart, that I was to go to South Korea. And uh, I moved there in December of that year and uh, moved into Jion Christian Children's Home, uh, which is an orphanage run by uh, Pastor Han's brother. Uh, and so I lived in the children's home for three years and have continued to serve there uh, since, yeah, since 2005. So over 12 years now, uh, I've been, or this is my 12th year uh, being out there. In August 2011, I married my wife, Skye, uh, and it's been so much better uh, since then. Life's been so much better. Uh, amen. Yes. Uh, I want to share some pictures and videos with you guys before I go into the sermon. And so this first picture uh, on here, this was taken right after I moved uh, to the home. This is early 06. Uh, and the girl above me, uh, she had just graduated from kindergarten. Uh, she is now a senior in high school and is the oldest uh, girl in the children's home. Um, it's, it's been a long ride, but it's been really good. Uh, really amazing to see these kids grow uh, and to be with them through the years. Uh, while serving out there, and I, didn't, I haven't just served at this children's home, I also started an orphanage volunteering ministry called Jerusalem Ministry, uh, which serves the orphans living in homes in Seoul and, and outside of Seoul. We do soccer camp, arts and crafts camp, Christmas Secret Angel, and set up tutors for them. Uh, and then I started Oak Tree Project, which is a scholarship and mentoring program for Korean orphans after they age out. In Korea, after you graduate from high school, you're deemed an adult, uh, and so they're on their own. And for the kids that get into college, which there aren't many of them, but those that do get into college, it's very difficult for them. They have no support, no family, uh, and many of them end up dropping out. So we started Oak Tree Project. Uh, I'll show a few more pictures, but before that, I'm going to show a video. This is of our most recent arts and crafts camp. We had 44 girls, elementary school girls, from nine different homes across Korea come together for three days uh, to make crafts with us. We had an adult volunteer paired with each girl, uh, so we had more than 44 volunteers. Uh, and the kids, they love this camp. You'll see at the beginning of the video, it's of them right before they're about to walk in. You can see a nervousness and an insecurity about them. Uh, but our volunteers, we train them well. They do a marvelous job. And these kids, uh, well, you'll see how blessed they are through this video. So let's go ahead and fire that up. All right, I'll show some, some pictures uh, from that camp. Uh, this first picture that's up here uh, from the camp, it's special to me for a number of reasons. One, my wife is at the very front uh, wearing that bold uh, sweatshirt. But you can also see my parents on the right, Pete and Vicki. Uh, who go here from the journey. They, they flew out uh, this past January to be a part of the camps. We, we gave them the full ministry schedule. We had a basketball camp before the arts and crafts camp. They attended that as well. And we had Oak Tree Project interviews, uh, all sorts of things going on. Um, but we love having them with us. They enjoyed the camp. And then my staff is uh, in this picture as well, along with four of our Oak Tree Project students, which are the students that are uh, receiving the scholarship and mentoring program. Uh, and it was really cool having those four join us for this camp because they were serving kids who were from the orphanage where they grew up. And uh, when they were in the orphanage, many of these kids were babies or toddlers. Uh, and now serving them, our students were able to experience some healing, just taking care of them. And for the kids at the camp, 
looking at these older brothers and sisters uh, that they had known when they were younger and seeing them doing well and seeing them being a good influence just really released a lot of hope in the kids. So that was a very special aspect of this past Arts and Crafts Camp. Uh, next picture. This is my wife Sky and I with uh, our student Youngsuk, and uh, he was one of the first students accepted on, with our scholarship mentoring program in 2013. Uh, Sky, we call him once a week for the past four years to check in on him, talk to him, and once a month we would meet up with him and give him a good meal uh, and just mentor him. And during his first year, back when he was 18, turning 19, he was pretty uh, immature and young and, and you know, a, a bit difficult. Uh, but as time passed, he really opened up to us, and he's really grown with the Lord uh, so strongly that he shared his testimony with the rest of our students and uh, at, at other church retreats. Uh, he's been such a blessing. So he graduated this past February, uh, and he's doing really well. He wants to become a mentor uh, in our program in the future. Uh, next picture. This is uh, our Oak Tree Project students. Um, not all of them, but, but a lot of them after a retreat that we held this past year. Really special aspect of it is that a lot of the kids in this program are from the children's home where I've been serving the past 11 plus years. Uh, these are kids that were in fourth grade, third grade when I first arrived and now they're in this scholarship program. Uh, next picture. These are uh, our students that we just accepted this past year. So this is the newest class uh, and we mentor them. They receive the scholarship with us until they graduate from college. So for up to four years. Uh, what set apart this program, Oak Tree Project, and our camps, the video that you just saw, what's really set these things apart from other programs and other camps uh, has been the relational connection that the kids and the students have gotten out of these programs. There are other scholarships for kids, but no mentoring programs. Uh, there are other camps for the kids, but at these camps that the kids go to, the volunteers aren't well trained, and the ratio is much less. There's little connection. So the kids are very insecure, they fight, uh, they're very difficult. But at our camps and in our programs, we train our mentors and our volunteers uh, to really be confident, to be strong, to be loving. And so when the kids come into that room for the camps or when the kids are paired up with the mentors, sometimes there's a little ice that has to melt, but they open up so much and they feel more safe than they ever have in their lives. And for our students in the program, uh, they, they confess that the first year, they're like, I'm only in this for the money. I'll take the phone call. I'll meet once a month if I have to. But as the years go by, they begin to tell us that, you know, the mentorship, this family aspect, having Sky in my life, you know, having you guys in my life, it means so much more than the money. And I'm so grateful for this. Relationships are so important, especially for the orphans, especially for the orphans. And that leads into the message uh, that I want to share with you all today. The, the title of this sermon I'm going to give today is called Saved for Relationship. Saved for Relationship. And uh, I want to share from Acts chapter 3. Uh, and so if you have your Bibles, you can open up Acts chapter 3, verse 1 through 10. Uh, premise of this story is Acts, the book of Acts in the Bible, it follows the Gospels, which are the stories of Jesus. And he walked the earth and he taught and he healed people and then he was crucified on the cross. Uh, and then he was resurrected on the third day. He overcame death uh, for us. And the book of Acts follows, in it, it follows the stories of his disciples that carry on the ministry after he's gone back up to heaven. Uh, and Acts chapter 3, verse 1 through 10. I'll just go ahead and read it. You can follow along here uh, if you don't have your Bible. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. 
And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is a beautiful passage about a cripple who had been lame from birth and he'd been put in front of this temple all his life, so much so that everyone knew him. Because there was only one temple back in those days. And all the believers there, all the Jewish people, they would walk into that temple to give their offering. And so they knew this man. They had seen him from birth. And uh, so he had sat there day by day, and God had always provided enough for him. He had always gotten just enough alms so that he could eat and live on another day. And praise God for that, how God provided for him daily. But here on this day, Peter and John come, and they are led to look right at him. And to heal him, to just pray over him and to heal him. And he's able to jump up and praise the Lord with all his heart. It's a beautiful story and it's a story maybe you've heard many times before in sermons. Just talking about the power of God and and how God loves us and how he heals us. But for me, it's a story that perplexed me. It's a story where I kind of zoomed back. I stepped back and would look at it and think, this man was a cripple from birth. He was at the temple every day. People recognized him. They knew him. That's the same guy who's been there all his life. And this is that one temple that Jesus walked into so many times in his life. So Jesus had walked by this same cripple day after day to go into the temple to teach. And then later, his disciples also had gone into that temple day after day to pray, to give their offerings, and to teach. So why was it that they didn't heal this man? until this chapter. Why did Jesus keep walking by him? Where, were, where was Jesus' priority? What was he thinking as he passed that man? Jesus explained himself in John chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. I'm, we're going to put that up there. It says, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. This might surprise you, but Jesus' top priority was not the lame. It was not healing people. It was not the blind or the deaf. Jesus' top priority was not teaching or preaching. It was not his disciples Jesus' top priority wasn't himself. Jesus' priority here on earth was, first and foremost, his relationship with his Father. That was what meant everything to Jesus, and that was what directed Jesus in everything that he did. Jesus lived to be in relationship with God. And this was not a working relationship. It was not Jesus coming down to earth and looking to God. Okay, what do I do next? Now tell me next. Now tell me next. And doing some checklist. And just trying to 
live and preach and teach and die on the cross and I'm done. I've accomplished it. Are you proud of me? It wasn't a working relationship. Rather, it was a loving relationship. It was, Father, what are you doing right now? Father, I want to know your heart. I want to walk with you. I want to be intimate with you. You see, God's greatest joy is not the supernatural. It's not some guy giving a great sermon. It's, it's not signs and wonders or people getting healed. We don't read in the Bible of angels and Jesus rejoicing over miracles. Rather, we read of Jesus and the angels rejoicing over every sinner who repents. And that word repent, it doesn't just mean, oh, I'm sorry, I'm a sinner. What that word repent literally means is turning. Turning. And when it says when a sinner repents, it means that sinner says, I'm no longer interested in living this life that I've done, doing it my way. God, I repent. I turn from my sin and I turn to you. And I want to know you. I want to be in relationship with you. That's what causes the angels and God in heaven to rejoice. Relationship. Relationship is what God desires. I'm going to read to you Hosea 2, verse 14 through 17. And this is a passage that God is speaking to his people who have been unfaithful to him. They've forsaken him. And yet this is God's heart. I'm going to read verses verses 14 through 17 of Hosea 2. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Accor a door of hope. And there she will answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in the day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. The word Baal on here is the name of the God that most of the pagan nations worship. And that word Baal in the Hebrew is literally translated as master. Master. And what God is saying here is, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. What God is saying to his people is, I don't want a working relationship with you. I don't want you to look at me scared and think of me as a boss or think of me as a disciplinary that if I do wrong, you'll be angry. If I do right, you'll, you'll nod your head. God's saying, I don't want that relationship with you. I want intimacy with you. I want to know you through and through. I want you to call me my husband, the closest one, my best friend, the dearest one to my heart. That's how I want to be known by you. You see, I I chose to go to Korea back in 2005, not because I love Korea or not because I love children. The truth is, is I did not like children uh, back when I was younger. Uh, and in 2005, if you put me in the toddler's room here at, at the journey, I wouldn't know what to do. I would just stand there and the kids would bounce off my legs and, you know, just awkward uh, around the kids. And for Korea, I'd been there a few times to teach English in the summers and I, I didn't enjoy it. It's very hot and humid. Believe it or not, it's even hotter than here. Uh, it's colder than here uh, for whatever reason. And uh, I didn't like the food. Not a big fan of rice, not a big fan of kimchi. Uh, didn't like the spicy food. I would always lose weight when I would be there in Korea. I'd have such trouble uh, eating the food. And so when 
God began to guide me in 2005. I was praying about my future, and I could feel his heart tugging me to Asia. Initially, I thought, okay, I will go to China, and I'll be a missionary there, or I'll go to Japan, and I'll work as an engineer and, and, and you know, build up the church there. But God said, no, I have a different plan for you. And he began to speak to my dad in dreams and, and to really make things clear that God wanted me to go to this specific orphanage in South Korea. You know what? My, my response wasn't, okay, I'm going to go because I'm, I'm so great. I'm going to go save a bunch of souls. My response wasn't, okay, I'm going to go because, you know, taking care of the orphans is so admirable and I'm going to feel so good about myself. It wasn't, oh, I'm going to go so that God will be pleased with me. And so that, you know, I won't be afraid of God. There wasn't any of those reasons why I chose to go to Korea. The reason why I chose to go to Korea in 2005 was, God, you're putting Korea on my heart. I can sense that you are there, that this is where you want to meet me. And so, God, I want to go and I want to meet you there. God, I choose to obey to go to Korea. And God, you know, I don't love kids. But God, I didn't love you before when I was younger. But you gave me love for you. The Bible says we love because God first loved us. And I said, God, if you give me love for you, you'll give me love for these kids. So I'm going to go. I just want to meet with you. It was the relational reason why I went to Korea. I mean, there's orphans all over the place. There's, there's struggling children all over the place. And, and if it, we didn't have a relationship with God and we were just told to do it, we would be all over the place. And we'd be frantic, not knowing what to do. That's not what God wants. God doesn't want it, just a bunch of works. He doesn't want you to, to feed the homeless and to go door to door and evangelize and to do all these things apart from him. More important than the works. He just wants to know you. And he wants to reveal things to you. So that Peter and John are going to the temple every day like they usually do. Just like you guys come to the journey every day. But then that one day comes where they get an impression on their heart. God's speaking something to me. God's revealing his love for this person right here, that he wants to heal him. And so Peter and John looked directly at that man because they both felt it in their spirit. And they told him to rise and walk. And this is the way that Jesus lived. He didn't live frantically. i got to save everybody. i got to preach to everybody. i, I got to do these things. That wasn't that heart. His heart was, God, what are you doing? God, where are you leading me? And he would preach, and people would get saved, or people would be, be stirred up, and the disciples would say, we should stay here. And Jesus would say, no, the Father's leading me somewhere else. And I want to be with the Father. I want to do what the Father's doing. I want to know his heart. You see, God is not a boss in heaven. God is not up in heaven as a critic watching you like this. Oh, okay, that was good. No, that was really bad. Oh, you shouldn't have said that. Now, now you're moving down on the list. That's not God. That's not his heart. God is also not an audience of one just sitting in a seat like you all watching, watching me. You know, he's not an audience of one just watching you and clapping at times and crying at times as he's watching your life. That's, that's part. He's, he's cheering you on, but more than that, he's all around you. When you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, he fills you with his Holy Spirit. Not so that you can do a bunch of works. Yeah, that's, that's good and all, but he fills you with his spirit to know you and to reveal himself to you. The heart of the father is to know his children. The heart of his father is to be with his kids. When I come home from Korea, 
and I, I stay with my parents here in Springfield, I'll try and help out around the house. I'll just try and be a, you know, a good son. Here, I'll do the dishes. You know, I'll help out. And they'll always say, you don't need to do that. You don't need, we just want to be with you. You know, when I come home, my dad doesn't look at me at the airport and think, oh, good. I don't have to mow the lawn for a few weeks. <laughs> my dad doesn't do that. Instead, he says, I, I can't wait to be with you. You don't need to mow the lawn. You don't need to do any of that. We just want to be with you. And last year, uh, my sister Laura and, and uh, her husband Andy were here with, with little Chloe May. They adopted Chloe. Uh, she was just born, uh, and they were living in Maryland, where they still are right now, and Chloe May was born in Virginia, and so they had to stay in Virginia until the adoption was finalized. And this was for many weeks. And uh, we visited last year during this time, and uh, I was talking to my dad, and he expressed to me, he said, I'm so happy that Laura is home with us. He said, I can't wait to get home from work each day just to be with her and to see her emotions and Laura's experience caring for the baby. That's the father's heart. My dad couldn't wait to be home just to be with Laura. It wasn't something where Laura had to do something or Laura had to entertain or, or do some works. It was just being together. That's what God desires with each and every one of us. It's from our being with him, our relationship with him, that works come. But the works don't come out of pressure or out of pride or out of stress. The works just come naturally. And that's not God's greatest priority. God's greatest priority is you. He died for you. I was at a conference back in 2010, and I met this speaker. Her name was Sarah Yang, and she told me a very interesting story. She had a friend of hers uh, that was an evangelist, and this man would speak in front of large crowds, and he was very, you know, he had a lot of charisma, and it was just a great speaker, and, and people would get stirred up wherever he would go. He would see, you know, people getting saved, and, and people getting healed, and, and he was feeling really good about himself, she said. And he was invited to a specific conference in another city, and, and he was there doing his thing, but he heard this sound as he would be speaking now and then, and as he listened, he realized it was trumpets, and he would hear it at odd times during the conference and he kept trying to figure out where where are these trumpets coming from and soon he realized when a certain man would walk into the room trumpets would sound and he would hear it and when that man would leave trumpets would sound and he was just what is going on what 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 is with this guy and so he asked you know different people at the conference and someone who knew that man walking in and out set up a meeting for the evangelist with that man and so when Sarah's friend met him in a coffee shop, he was waiting there, and, and the doors open, and the man hears trumpets. And, and you know, the man sits down with, with Sarah's friend, and, and he gets right to the point. So it's nice to meet you. Now, what's with the trumpets? Why do I keep hearing trumpets? And the guy was a little sheepish. He said, oh, well, that, that started a few years ago. He said, what happened was a, a while back, he was reading the Bible, and he was reading John chapter 15. And in verse 15 of, of that chapter, Jesus says to his disciples, I no longer call you servants. I call you my friends. I call you my friends. And the man said that when he read that passage, something just hit him. And he realized all his life he had worshipped God as God, as Lord, as Master. And so he had lived his life trying to do right to please God. He had lived his life, you know, just, just trying to do the, the right things, but he had never talked to God like a friend. 
It was more of talk to God when you need something. Oh, God, you know, help us. God, you know, provide for us. But never as a friend. So he said that uh, what he began to do was he, he had a full-time job. He had kids. He was a very busy guy. Uh, and so he would wake up at, at 4 in the morning. And uh, before he would go to work at 6 uh, and get ready, he, he would set up two chairs in a room in his house. And he would sit down in one of the chairs and just start talking to Jesus like a friend. He stopped praying to him like he used to. It's just interceding, just I need this, I need that, you know, take care of these people. And he just started to talk to him as a friend. He would talk to him about work, talk to him about family matters, talk to him about sports, talk to him about the weather and different hobbies, the things that you would talk about with your best friend. It wasn't all holy talk all the time. It was just my friend. Let me just tell you about my life. And he would do that day after day for, for a long time. And then one morning he was sitting there and he was just having his time talking with Jesus when the door opened uh, behind him, and he thought it was his wife, uh, and, and he f- heard footsteps and then a hand on his shoulder. And he looked at, at the hand on his shoulder, and he saw the marks. And he realized this wasn't his wife. This was, this was Jesus. And as he was sitting there, the hand on his shoulder, tears started to fall. He saw tears falling from Jesus onto his shoulder. And he heard Jesus say, I wish I had more friends like you. I wish I had more friends like you. And he said, from that day onward, whenever he would enter a place, trumpets would sound. He would hear the trumpets. And he realized God was honoring him as a close friend. This man, he wasn't a full-time minister. He didn't save a bunch of souls. He didn't take care of the orphans. He didn't do any of these amazing acts that are so looked up to among big people in the church. He was just a friend of God. But that meant the world to God. Because more than the works, much more than the works, what God wants is relationship. He wants connection. He wants to know us through and through. God is longing for you. He died on the cross not so that you can become his soldier, so that you can become you know, his worker. He died on the cross because he loves you. For God so loved the world, he sent his son. And God wants to speak to you not just during Sunday service. He wants to speak to you every moment of your day. Every moment. He wants to give you secrets. He wants to reveal desires within you that you never knew you had. If you live 60 years of your life and you sleep for eight hours a day, your 60 years of living, you will have slept for 20 years of your life. 20 years of your life you have been sleeping. And I want to tell you, God's been wanting to speak to you in your dreams as well. If you read the Bible in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, God speaks the most to people in dreams. But God is, he's a gentle God. He's a loving God. He doesn't barge in. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened unto you. You see, Jesus didn't heal everybody that he passed in the Bible. But every person that asked, Jesus healed. Every person that made a relational connection with Jesus, even if it was just Jesus, remember me on the cross, Jesus remembered them, and he healed them. 
God is longing for a relational connection with you. The works, that, that's, don't even worry about that. What's most important is knowing him and being with him and just asking God, God, I want to know your heart. God, what are you doing? And some days might just be a regular day. You just talk to God like your friend. You just say some things and you might not hear anything. And then some days you might get a strong impression on your heart. Hey, why don't you go talk to that person? I'm, I'm doing something right here and I want to include you in this. I'm so privileged to be in Korea to do what I'm doing. It's, but it's God's work. It's not my own. These camps, this program, this is all the Lord's work. And I'm privileged to be a part of it, but if it was all taken away, I wouldn't be all distraught or stressful. If you lose your job, you know, I hope you're not like, I've lost everything. You got everything you need. You have more than enough. Our God is so good. So I want to encourage you, church. Seek his face. Ask for more of him. And he's going to show you things that you never dreamed for or imagined. God saved you for relationship.